This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, i got to say, Blair, I love the next segment that we're going to be doing. It's one of my favorite things. And what it is, folks, is we're going to talk about all the highlights from the 10th annual, which is pretty cool in itself that there's been 10 years in a row that Sands and Associates has been accumulating this data. And this, what we're going to talk about is the 2022 BC Consumer Debt Study. And this is part one of two. Um, and the reason why, Blair, I think this is such a cool uh, segment and such a cool thing that you guys do is because data shows us trends. And it's almost like we're being given a peek into what is in store? What's in store for us in the future when it comes to uh, debt or consumer issues, all of that kind of thing? Because uh, there's there's no reason why the, sort of the the uh, well the processes or the, the the trends that have been set up in the past year aren't going to continue into 2023. Would you would you agree with that? Oh, I, I think it's it's completely spot on, Elaine. You know, we've been doing the study for ten years, and we've definitely seen you know some trends that have really started to intensify over time. And we'll talk about that with respect to payday loans and with respect to the average consumer, you know, continuing to get older. Um, but there's also it's just fascinating to get the window into the individual situations, what drives people to to get into debt or to seek debt help, and how do they feel, how do they resolve their issues and move forward. So. You know, the data in aggregate is always interesting, but you know, even down to some of the personal reflections, the personal advice that people give, um, you know, I encourage anybody listening just to go to the Sands-Trustee website uh, and find the debt study. It's you know, it's about twenty pages that we produce every year, which really gives you a window into people in BC that are struggling with debt um, and what they can choose to do about it to move forward. Okay, so let's start at the very beginning uh, by why don't you tell us about the BC Consumer Debt Study Series, who the who was surveyed for this latest study that we're going to talk about? Mm-hmm. Well, the focus of the survey is all an individual. So it's not based on, you know, corporate bankruptcies or what's going on in the business world. It's what's happening with individuals in BC and their personal debt issues and what's the impact on these individuals. So we get insights and information from people that have recently used a legal debt relief process, which means they've either filed for personal bankruptcy or they're doing a formal type of debt consolidation called a consumer proposal. Uh, the population that responds to our survey every year, it just amazes me the number of people that are really interested in sharing their story and their insights to help others. So it's over 1,400 people responded to our latest survey. And that's about 14% of all the people in BC in the last 12 months who chose to restructure their debt uh, using either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. So a lot of surveys, you know, they consider them representative if they have 1% or half a percent or something like that of the total population. We've got 10% in this survey. So we think it's very representative. There's some really good insights you can extrapolate to say what well, the survey says this there's a lot of people in that situation that are, are feeling the same um, in our consumer debt study every year we look at the general demographics who's getting into debt uh, what are their debt levels what are the causes of problem debt and we have different areas of focus each year and this past year we were uh, 
drilling down a little bit on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and we highlight, you know, the facts and the struggles that people are, are facing in our communities. The goal of the survey really um, is to boost awareness of what you can do if you find yourself in a debt problem, because a lot of people feel like they're the only person on earth that's struggling like this, and they just don't know what to do to get out of it. So if we can destigmatize a little bit of the, the situation of finding yourself in debt and give some guidance on what people can actually do to move forward, well, that's success for us and why we continue to do this survey even after 10 years now. So we know that... Uh using credit or credit cards. And I mean, we all care. We always all carry a little bit of debt. Um, but it's a kind of a different situation when you're a licensed insolvency trustee. You guys look at it with a with a different set of eyes. And so let's talk a little bit more about the study and what's come out of it as a result. Yeah, in terms of the, the general trends. So as you mentioned, you know, just about everybody has a credit card. And if you're carrying a balance on your credit card, you're definitely not alone. Um, what we found in the 2022 BC Consumer Debt Study is the largest proportion of participants. So over a third of individuals, 34%, um, they said they had about twenty-five dollars to $49,999 of debt. So between twenty-five dollars and $50,000 of debt, excluding a vehicle or a mortgage loan. At the time, they started a formal debt relief process. So a vast majority of people, they don't owe hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they also don't owe just a few thousand dollars. It's in that range of about the twenty-five dollars to $50,000. Now, what was really not surprising, but definitely a significant finding is that nearly three in five people, 59% of people said credit card debt was the main type of debt that they had. And that was almost six times higher than the next most common type of debt. So if, you know, from a, a less involved point of view, you think, well, people are getting into trouble with credit cards. You're pretty right. You know, in, in six out of 10 cases, um, that is the main reason why people are having trouble with the debt is that the credit card debt had escalated. Uh, but for the first time in the study, we saw payday or installment loans. And these are the very high interest, high cost, uh, usually almost your last resort type of financing um, that rocketed into number two position. So after credit cards, um, it is payday or installment loans that about 11% of people said were their issues. Uh, and then after then, it was tax debt and line of credit debt. And these were cited by about 9% of respondents. So definitely credit cards are the most common reason why people are getting into financial difficulty in terms of the type of debt. Uh, but that growth in payday loans is just so significant. You know, even in 2019, so a very recent study, uh, payday or installment loans were the main cause of debt for just 5% of people. And now it's at 11%. So it's more than doubled in just a few short years here. Um, and anyone that listens to the show for any extended period of time, you'll hear us talk about payday loans and how difficult it can be um, if you're stuck in a cycle of borrow, repay, borrow again, because the costs are just so high. So seeing that growth is, you know, very concerning. And just one other trend um, is about how the consumer is getting older. So what we saw is the proportion of people who are age 55 plus who are seeking help from their debt, uh, that has increased 68% since we started doing this study back in 2012. So it's a lot more people reaching the end of their working life who are finding they still need help to resolve their debt. They haven't been able to put things in order uh, when their income declines as they go into retirement. I just want to mention at this point, if you already know that you fall into one of those categories and that you know you need some support, some assistance, some direction on what to do next, I want to give you the website for Sands & Associates at sands-trustee.com and their number. It's toll-free at 1-800-661-3030. So, Blair, what are the, some of the findings that you've come up with that around what's causing people to accumulate uh, that problem debt now? 
Yeah, I think that's so interesting to, to delve into because there's a lot of assumptions made as to what can cause a debt problem. And, you know, sometimes when we put a tweet out about, you know, a consumer, um, you know, a recent consumer proposal that we filed, there are a lot of people that can comment really quickly and say, oh, this person must be irresponsible. They just need to pay their debts. Um, but when you actually delve into what, what's underlying the problem here, for the vast majority of people, and four out of the five most common causes of people getting into debt problems are generally things that are outside of their individual control. For a lot of the people, there's really nothing they could have done different to avoid being in a tough situation. So what we found is one in five people said the direct main cause of their debt was using credit for essential costs of living that their income could not cover. Um, so obviously in BC, I'll use the term, we're in a housing affordability crisis with the way rent has escalated, mortgage costs, everything. A lot of people have had to result to credit just to, you know, buy groceries each month and to, and to keep the lights on. Um, so that that's huge. And that's something that's outside of your control. You know, you didn't cause inflation to go crazy or rental rates to go through the roof, but you're dealing with the aftermath of that. Uh, one in four people, about 28%, um, they blamed themselves. They said their debt was caused by overextended credit due to general financial mismanagement. And it's not the case that everyone I see has some mismanagement, but in some cases you can say, yep, this person perhaps could have done things a little bit different. My my experience is when we actually sit down with that person and interview them and understand, well, you know, why do you feel like you mismanaged? Well, it's because someone lost a job or somebody got sick um, or, you know, some other external shock and they felt they didn't manage it as well as possible. But the actual underlying cost cause there, when as people self-identify, things like illness, injury, or health-related problems, 10% of people said that was their main cause of their debt. Uh, marital or relationship breakdown, that was about 8%. And then job-related issues was about 6% of people. And that's also surprising as well, because a lot of people think, you know, you're filing a bankruptcy or a proposal because you've lost your job. But for 94% of people, that wasn't the main reason that caused them to go into debt. There could be some contributing factors, but it's usually it's things outside of their control, again, costs of living, um, illness, relationship breakdown, um, just all of those factors. Uh, what's interesting too, is we focused a little bit on the COVID-19 pandemic, but it really wasn't a significant driver of people seeking debt help in 2022. It was only 6% of people said that COVID-19 was the main cause of their debt. But what we think is that it's just the impact is starting to be felt now. We have just a ton of clients reaching out who might be being asked to repay CERB or government benefits during the pandemic. So we think the impact of the pand pandemic financially is just starting to be felt now and will be felt for years to come. And I think job, you know, job-related stuff too. Like, let's say you're working for a viable company, um, and all of a sudden everything gets tightened down, or the costs start to increase at an exorbitant level. Something that the company has no control over because of supply chain issues, because of the pandemic that we all lived through for two years, right? Like, so the mm -hmm. the effects of, of the pandemic, like you say, are going to be, a, we're going to feel the effects for quite a long time. And they're going to be very subtle in some cases, like, you know, even though you didn't lose your job because you, uh, the company that you were working for shut down because it had to, um, it could be for like 16 other different reasons why you lost your job or your hours were cut back, or the cost was too great to keep you or whatever. Yeah, there's just been so many external shocks, like more than I've ever seen. I've been a trustee for 15 years now, you know, from inflation to interest rates to a global pandemic, you know, the last three, four years have just been one thing after another, making it more difficult for the consumer to make any financial headway. 
Yeah. Okay. And I, I know that we only have a minute left on this, but we're going to talk about this study some more. But can we finish it off by talking about any findings from the debt study when it came to people attempting to manage their debt, their problem debt? Like what were some of the findings there that were interesting and different to you? Mm-hmm. You know, the the most uh, concerning one, and this is also the most consistent finding over time, over the last 10 years, is most people do not reach out for help right away when they know they have a mm-hmm. problem. In fact, only 5% of people reach out for help, which means 95% of people suffer for too long. They flail about. They're not sure what to do. When we ask people, well, why didn't you reach out for help so soon? Um, you know, a bunch of people come back with various reasons, but um, they said, you know, they tried to extend their credit limits first, or they tried to borrow from family or friends, or they applied for a consumer consolidation loan, even 23% of people, when they knew they needed help, um, their strategy was to get a payday or an installment loan. Um, So there's a lot of things people do that can extend or enlarge the problem. With Only 5% of people reaching out right away. I'm hoping that if anyone's listening today and they think they might have a debt problem, they'll make that call to get the help sooner uh, rather than just suffer in silence as so many of our surveyors survey respondents do, it seems to be about a two-year cycle from when someone knows they need the help to when they're finally getting the help they need from Sands and Associates. 1-800-661-3030 for that first sit down. Uh, You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about the um, 10th annual BC Consumer Debt Study for the past year that Sands and Associates has put together by talking to over 1,400 people, which is super interesting. Get a really great insight insight into all kinds of things around the kind of debt that people are holding on to, why, how did they get there, all of the pieces around it. This part is, this segment is all about the, the fact that the study revealed the serious impacts that problem debt can have on mental health as well as other things. And I guess this really shouldn't be too much of a surprise that it's going to cause a lot of stress and et cetera, but it, it's significant. Blair, it sounds like it was very significant this time. Yeah, you know, every year that we do the study, we always just, you know, have a moment of, I'll call it sobriety when we start to get the results back and just to see, oh my gosh, like if we ever um, underestimated the amount of an impact it has on on, on someone being in debt, um, you know, just read one of these survey reports or study reports and you'll know exactly how all consuming it can be. You know, I often say that debt is not a problem. You just think about five, 10, 15 minutes a day. If you've ever faced a debt problem, you'd probably be nodding along right now when I say you're constantly worried about it. You're constantly thinking, well, I'm not living up to what I, I thought I could do. You know, usually if you have debt, it's because things were good and you were able to borrow money. You had a good credit rating. Now things aren't so good and you've got this obligation that you're not able to meet. So the mental, physical, spiritual impacts of that can just be huge. And, you know, over the last 10 years, we've, we've asked a number of very pointed questions each year to try to delve into that impact. And consistently, you know, we get some really insightful uh, responses back. Um, so, you know, debt distress can impact people in a number of different ways. But what we found in the past year's study was nearly four in five people, so nearly 80% of people said their mental health suffered as a result of being in debt. And, you know, I, I would say as in general as a society, our mental health has been under attack for a few years, a global pandemic, a bunch of external events. So throwing debt on top of that, that can just be an unmanageable burden for somebody already feeling strained. Uh, 63% of people said their self-esteem suffered. 47% of people said that their debt affected their physical health. And one of the great parts of my job is just seeing that transformation. When people take action on their debt, you can just see that they're standing taller, they're walking taller, uh, and just generally feeling better. Even physically, debt can impact you. 
Um, over four in five people that we spoke to, over 82% said they experienced constant worry about their debt. Um, 76% of people said they had anxiety from the strength, from the stress of debt. Uh, two thirds of people felt helplessness or hopelessness. And even, and this is, you know, a, a tough one that we ask every year and the number vary, varies a little bit, but not, a, not significantly. So roughly one in seven people said that the death stress resulted in them experiencing thoughts or contemplation of suicide. So really wanting to end their life because of these financial obligations, just seeing no other way out. Um, and then, you know, a bunch of your traditional type of impacts you would expect, you know, sleeping poorly, uh, feeling shameful, even, you know, outbursts of anger. And, you know, even 30% of people said their relationship suffered as a result of being in debt. Um, they were alienating themselves from family or friends or had arguments with their significant others about money. And of a similar proportion, about 30% said they put their life on hold. You know, they're not taking that next milestone. They're not able to start a family or look at purchasing a house because debt is holding them back. So it really can be an all-consuming problem that people are facing. I like that it's something that you and Sa and it seems that Sands and Associates really cares about just how you've set yourselves up and how you counsel people and how you move them through the process regardless of what their next steps might be to deal with the um, to deal with their debt uh, but that you you care about this thing that you care about this mental health and and it's part of that process and I just also want to add with that um, if this if you know already that this is a step that you want to take to either just sit down with somebody and figure out your situation and see what can be done. Or if you already know that you need to do something and you want the process and, and the support to do that, the number, the phone number for Sands and Associates, and they have offices all over British Columbia. It's 1-800-661-3030. And uh, the website, if you'd like to check that out, you can also uh, register or make an appointment through the website is sands-trustee.com. You talked about in before we took the little break about reminding people of the phone number that the number one reported warning sign of the of a debt problem was the stress uh, mm -hmm. which was huge seven out of ten people and of course we know that stress can show up in all kinds of different ways and it can affect so many different things in our lives not just the typical things that you would think of but it can really be um, life altering in a sense of, uh, of how you'd like things to go to how they actually end up going. So can we talk some more about that? Yeah, certainly, Elaine, you know, the way that I, I would really summarize it, and I think this is proven true is, you know, if you think you have a debt problem, you're generally right. So if you're feeling like you're worried about your money, you're worried about your finances every month, feeling that stress, that's one of the number one reasons why our survey respondents said, okay, I know I've got a problem because I'm not sleeping at night, because I'm feeling this overwhelming stress. So yes, there are, you know, the traditional, we'll call them more transactional signs of a debt problem. And we'll go through those here in a second. But in general, it's just that feeling, that anxiety, that feeling stressed out, the hopelessness. That's the number one reason why people could self-diagnose and say, yeah, I probably do need some help with my debt. So other traditional warning signs that people identified, um, only making minimum payments, about six in 10 people said, well, that indicated to them it was a problem because they probably read their, st their statements in detail and saw, well, even a few thousand dollars can be decades to pay back at minimum payments. So that's just a huge warning sign. If you're only making the minimum payments on your credit cards or loans each month, you're really not getting ahead. You're just treading water at best. 
Um, a similar proportion of people said that seeing their debt balances remain the same every month despite making payments. So again, another way of looking at, well, I'm paying $200, but $190 of that is going to interest and fees and really not helping move me forward. Um, so just get feeling that sense of hopelessness that I'm doing the best that I can, but these debt balances just aren't going down. Uh, for about a third of people, their warning sign was that they, their debt balances just kept going up. They just kept accumulating more debt on their credit accounts. There was just nothing they could do to make headway. Uh, about one in five people said their big warning sign was that the bank turned them down for a consolidation loan. So a lot of people, one of their first things that they'll do if they find their debts are getting out of control is to try to consolidate and bring their interest rate down. But many times a bank is not willing to approve a loan like that without a cosigner or some other pretty onerous terms. So for about 20% of people, that was their warning sign. Uh, about 30% of people had what I would call the more, um, you know, intuitive, the common sense type of warning signs where everyone would say, you know, yes, this is indicating a debt problem. Things like getting collection calls, letters, bouncing or missing payments, but it was only about 5% of people were actually having their wages seized or their bank accounts seized. So a lot of folks think, you know, no one reaches out to a trustee until, you know, you've been sued and, you know, the, the wolf is at the door, all of those types of things. But that's only about 5% of people let it get so severe that legal action has been taken against them. The vast majority of people, it's more of a self-diagnosis that, hey, I'm just not making headway. I'm paying a lot. The balances aren't going down. Um, you know, and that even proves out in the way that it's counterintuitive, but a vast majority of people, sometimes upwards of 70% of people that file bankruptcy or make a consumer proposal actually don't have bad credit. They have, you know, from good to excellent, you know, even great credit in some cases, because it's not necessary that you go delinquent on all of your payments. It's not necessary that you wait until you've been sued. For the majority of people, they might have a great credit rating because they're just moving money around each month, getting all the minimums paid, but that's not an indication they don't need financial help. Sometimes the people with great credit ratings are actually other people that need help the most with their debt. Do you, do you think that most consumers in BC go and get or, or seek debt help right away once they realize they have a problem? What kind of, what kind of stats have you got around that? How often or how long do, do people wait before they take action? You know, that's the thing, Elaine, that the longer we do this study, I hope this metric is going to change over time, but it's been consistently, most people do not reach out for help. Again, only 5% of people reach out for help when they know they have the problem. And when we ask people, why didn't you reach out for help? The most common responses were they wanted to manage the debt on their own. So about 65% of people said, you know, I got myself into this. I want to do the best that I can to get out of it. 55% uh, of people said they felt ashamed, they felt ashamed I couldn't handle the debts I had incurred. Uh, being embarrassed to ask for help was reported by 51% of people and being worried about being judged. Um, so a lot of people think, you know, anything they do to restructure their debt is going to be a public proceeding. It's going to be in the newspaper. Their employee, um, employers, um, their colleagues, their neighbors will be aware of it. All of that is false. You can restructure your debt and, you know, even your partner doesn't necessarily need to be aware of it as much as we would counsel against that and say openness is the right way to go. But you can deal with your debt on a very private basis. Um, and and then about one in four people said they just didn't know where to get help. Um, they might have had misinformation or just had no idea that this role of a trustee actually exists. Uh, but what's quite concerning too is sometimes people take actions that unwittingly to them aggravates their situation and can make things worse. Um, so 
you know, some people think there's just no solution to their situation. That's 31% of people. Um, 28% of people thought their situation would improve on its own. Um, and then 12% of people said they didn't think their situation was bad enough to ask for help. And during that time when people are holding off from getting help, sometimes they're incurring more debt or they're getting co-signers or they're borrowing from family and friends. All of these things are very risky and usually don't help solve the problem, but just make it significantly worse. Okay, so let's in the last in the last uh, a few minutes that we've got, Blair. Let's talk about what you need to pay attention to. Like, what are the warning signs that either people uh, get and they do something about? But it sounds like a lots of people just get these warning signs and don't do anything about. So here's here's an opportunity for us to try to help that situation, help those people. Okay, if this is going on, this is what this is the next steps for you. So let's talk about mm -hmm. those warning signs. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of questions to ask yourself. And, you know, if you're ringing the bell on a couple of these questions, that's a good indication that you'd benefit from having a chat with a licensed insolvency trustee. So are you feeling any worry, anxiety, or stress about your financial situation? And a lot of people might say yes to that, you know, even in general, but that's a pretty good indication. Um, is your, are your debt and money matters something you think or worry about regularly or even daily? Is there not a day that comes and goes and you're not worried about how you're eventually going to get out of debt? Uh, one important one is do you rely on your credit accounts to make ends meet? So there's no way if the credit was taken away that you'd be able to live on a monthly basis with your budget. You need to go into a credit account every month just to provide for the necessities of life. Um, are you exercising some avoidance? Are you avoiding your account balances? Are you not filing your tax returns because you think you're going to owe money and the government won't know until you file, which is not a good strategy. They know either way. Uh, but sometimes avoidance is, is something that people do for periods of time. Um, are you looking to take out a consolidation loan with or without a cosigner? That might sound like you're doing something good, but it's actually a big warning sign. If you need to consolidate your debt, uh, again, sometimes the only way banks will do that is to get a cosigner or get you to pledge an asset. And that can be just quite risky. So you really want to take care as you move forward and, and do something that's going to help the problem, not make it worse. I want to throw in here too, the website that Sands and Associates has is just awesome. It is a number of pages. I couldn't tell you how many pages long it is, but it's filled with great questions, questions that you may have, that your neighbor may have uh, about what to do next, how to, what, what's the next step to take, or how do I do it, or et cetera, et cetera. And it's sands-trustee.com. And their phone number is 1-800-661-3030. And like I say, they have 25 offices around British Columbia right now. It is tax time. Uh, we're, you need to start thinking about your tax return and getting that organized and getting all the information organized. So we're going to talk about, um, uh, best practice tips from Blair Manton, of course, and Blair's from Sands and Associates, a president of Sands and Associates. So just the perfect person to share some tax tips, do's and don'ts, uh, everything from smart refund spending to managing a big tax balance and more. So. What are some tax time tips applicable for virtually everyone, Blair? You, me, everybody. Yeah, I think the first one is to know if, what, and when you need to file a tax return. So CRA, Gen Canada Revenue Agency, requires at least an annual Canadian T1 general tax return to be filed for most people, but there are some exceptions and there can be some additional filing requirements depending on your personal or your business situation. Now, it's important that you don't assume just because you didn't have any income or you think you won't owe any tax balance that you shouldn't bother to file. I've heard that over the years. Oh, government owes me money. You don't need to file if they owe you 
money, you can just wait. Well, you could choose to wait, but it's usually in your best interest to file your taxes every year because many government credits rely on CRA information to actually disperse the credits and benefits. So things like the Canada Dental Benefit, the Canada Housing Benefit, Canada Child Benefits, uh, the GIS, the Guaranteed Income Supplement for Seniors, GST credits, etc. So if you don't file your taxes, odds are those monies that are supposed to be flowing to you will just get stopped because CRA won't have the ability to provide the verification needed for the authorities to disperse these funds to you. So sometimes it's interesting in our office, if someone comes in, they haven't filed, you know, for five or 10 years or so. Uh, once we help the person get caught up with their taxes, sometimes it's thousands of dollars that they're receiving in tax refunds and GST credits. I've even had situations where somebody thought they had, you know, too much debt, they needed our help, we filed their taxes and the amount of refunds they got was actually Actually enough to pay off their debt. So they were, you know, quite happy to, to not have to restructure. They were just able to get the money that was, you know, due and payable to them for years, but they hadn't completed that step of actually filing their retirement, filing their returns each year. You know, a secondary uh, reason why you want to file your tax returns is you need to be able sometimes to prove your income, to prove your financial situation. If it's for credit or for a housing application or something like that, it's quite often people will ask for your notice of assessment or your last tax return filed. So it's important that you've done that each year and you can provide that when required. In terms of knowing what your filing requirements are, um, especially for a self-employed person, you know, just saying, I didn't know the rules and that's why I didn't get things done right, that's not an excuse that CRA will ever accept in any meaningful way. So what we recommend is if you go to Canada.ca and navigate to the taxes section, there's some really good information about filing requirements and helping you identify what you need to file. But if you have any sense that as a self-employed person, this is beyond your scope of expertise and your abilities, you want to get help from a reputable bookkeeper or, or an accountant. Just make sure things get filed correctly. You might think, oh, this is a cost that I, I don't need to absorb. But trust me, the cost of doing it wrong can well eclipse any cost that a good accountant might, might charge you to actually do things right the first time. Uh, you know, the last thing is you just want to make sure you get educated on any of the scams that are out there. There are so many things still going on right now. People will call you saying they're from CRA. There's often a bunch of red flags. You know, they ask you to buy gift cards or whatnot. Uh, but they're very sophisticated and that the caller ID might show up, um, you know, completely as Canada Revenue Agency. They might give you a number to call back that seems very legitimate, but it's also part of the same scam. So just be aware of what's out there. And the government actually publicizes, you know, some of the most common scams and what to look out for. So if you know what and when and if you need to file, the second thing is to make sure that you file and that you pay on time because filing on time makes sure that no benefits are disrupted. Um, but filing on time also helps you to avoid any late filing penalties. And the key date to keep in mind is April 30th. That's when every individual in Canada is required to file and pay their income tax amounts owing. And April 30th is a Sunday. So you've got until the Monday, which is, you know, May 1st. Um, Self-employed individuals have a little bit more time to file their return. They've got until June 15th, but it's so important self-employed people are aware that you actually have to have paid your tax balance owing on April 30th, even if you don't know what it is. As weird as that sounds, you you have to estimate what that tax balance is. If you overestimate and you pay too much, the government's going to give you some money back. If you underestimate and don't pay enough, the government's going to charge you interest. So you generally want to err on the side of maybe overpaying a little uh, and to get the returns filed by June 15th, but make sure those payments are in by April 30th. Yeah, good, super good advice. Yeah, regardless of whether of when you file, you still have to pay by that April 30th period. Mm -hmm 
there's no no room for uh, for moving around on that. Uh, if you've already decided, you know, in your heart, on your mind, or in your pocketbook that you want to do things differently for next year's tax return, and you want to get your debt looked after and get things in order, make 2023 a little bit better, uh, give Sands & Associates a call. Uh, they're 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number, or check out the website at sands-trustee.com. Um, do you want to talk about the filing deadline is April 30th, but since that's a Sunday, I know you just mentioned it briefly, um, mm -hmm. but is there anything else that I'm just looking ahead to see if there's anything else around that we need to pay attention to? I guess the May 1st date is something that we need to pay attention to as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, April 30th becomes May 1st just because it's Got on it. Sunday. So CRA says, yeah, you can just pay on that last day. Uh, okay, I think it's great. important for people to know if they're going to get a tax refund, you know, sometimes people say, well, that's free money coming back to you, to me. Well, it's not. It's actually your money. You know, you gave the government an interest-free loan, so to speak. Um, so you just want to make sure you're going to use that refund well. And the best advice that we've seen at Sands & Associates is to take that refund and earmark it for your irregular expenses, the things that you know are going to happen throughout the year, but don't come up every month. It can sometimes leave you short. Um, so sometimes it's an insurance renewal, um, household or vehicle maintenance or repairs, uh, or maybe you want to take that money and just pay something down on your debt if you're carrying some balances. Um, you know, the best thing to do if you don't have any irregular expenses and are carrying debt is to build that emergency fund. So up to six months of fixed expenses. If you had an income interruption, that emergency fund is going to hold you over and help you move forward. And a good tax refund can help you have a really good start to an emergency fund. Those are great ideas. What about for folks who expect to owe a tax bill when they file? Yeah, the, the best advice, of course, is if you're able to pay it off right away, well, then, you know, you try to do that. But you also want to consider, well, why do I owe these taxes and what can I do in the future so that this doesn't happen every year? A couple of common reasons why people end up owing taxes is that they're working multiple jobs. And this can be just, you know, frustrating because you're trying to do the best that you can to support your family. you got a second job. But what happens is that quite often the taxes deducted from each individual job are not enough as if you had earned the income from the same job. So it means each employer is deducting taxes at a certain amount, uh, but that amount might not be high enough based on the combined income for your multiple jobs. So what you need to do is to plan ahead for the next year. It can be very simple. You speak to your employer or the payroll department and ask one or both of them to just withhold a little bit extra on your taxes um, on each paycheck so that you don't have that bill at the end of the month. So if you owed $1,200 in taxes this year, you might ask each of your uh, jobs each month. There's two of them to take off an extra $50 a month. So, you know, worst case, if you've withheld too much, you're going to get that money back at the end of the year, but at least you're not going to have a significant balance owing. Um, the second big one is if you're cashing in RRSPs, um, just be aware that the tax withheld when you cash in those RRSPs might not be sufficient to pay the actual tax bill at the end of the year. So the, your bank might withhold, you know, 10 to 30% of that, of that amount as a withholding, but your tax rate might be 45 or even 50%. So there could be still a significant balance owing if you cash in RRSPs. So it's coming back to our classic advice. If you're cashing in RRSPs to pay debt, you should stop, get advice because it's usually not a good idea. But there could be other reasons why you're cashing in RRSPs and you just want to make sure you've calculated what the tax impact is going to be and put that money aside before it's gone. Now, is there one little bit in our last bit here about being self-employed that you've seen over and over again that self-employed people, sort of a mistake that they make and what they can do not to make that mistake? 
Yeah. One thing as a self-employed person to be aware is first off, nobody's paying CPP or income tax payments on your behalf. So you have to be prepared to pay those. And we generally recommend on a monthly basis, but I've seen client after client not be aware of GST requirements. So you mm. need to be aware if you earn more than $30,000 in revenue each year, you're required to register with CRA and collect GST. There's only a small number of professions where this doesn't apply very few. And in other cases, if you were required to register and you did CRA is just going to assess you based on your gross earnings in your business and say, well, you should have collected that 5%. Even if you didn't, we're holding you accountable for it. So make sure you understand your GST obligations. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. Talking about borrowing as a debt solution. Uh, lots of things to consider. Debt consolidation loans, pretty popular solution uh, that a lot of people think about when they want a solution to streamline multiple debts. So there's some benefits and help resolve some of the aspects of the common debt management challenges, but they aren't ideal in every situation. And that's why this segment's a good one. So Blair is going to take us through some key consideration when it comes to borrowing and non-borrowing solutions if consolidating your debt is something you want to do. So Blair, can you start by kind of outlining some of the basic points of that lender-based debt consolidation option that folks are sometimes looking at? Well, sure, Elaine. You know, when most people say debt consolidation, they're really referring to a debt consolidation loan, which is a pretty basic concept. You're going to borrow a lump sum amount from one lender, and you're going to pay off or deal with multiple other debts. So the idea, the benefits in mind of this is you're going to have fewer payments to juggle. So things are going to be a little bit more simple and easy to keep track of things. Ideally, you're going to free up some cash flow because the whole point of consolidating is that the new lender should be able to give you a lower interest rate than what you're already paying or else you know, there wouldn't be much point in consolidating. Um, and then you'll also should have a timeline on when your debt will be paid off. Now, there's a number of different ways that you can consolidate the debt if you're going to be borrowing to do so. The typical ones, you know, your typical debt consolidation loan is where I've just described you approach the bank, you say, I owe these five credit cards, I'd like to borrow from you, let's pay off the credit cards and I will pay you back. That's a very traditional type of consolidation loan. Um, a home equity loan is becoming more and more common as real estate values continue to increase, and that can be sometimes called a second mortgage or refinancing your mortgage. And with that, you're just borrowing more money against your house. Um, ideally paying a much lower interest rate and paying off some high interest debt. Um, sometimes consolidation can take the form of a line of credit uh, or an overdraft. Um, so again, just another way of borrowing a different mechanism. Uh, and then finally, sometimes with credit cards, you can consolidate using a balance transfer. Um, often this is your more expensive or most expensive option because there's usually transaction fees and interest costs that are typically higher than other options. But as you can see, there's a number of different ways you can try to borrow to consolidate your debts. Okay, so all of that sounds pretty good, but I know from talking to you about this before, there are some pretty common challenges that folks run into with consolidation loans or financing. So what are the things that people should consider before committing to that consolidation loan? Right. You know, the first thing is just about everyone that I've ever met with when I ask, okay, what have you tried so far? Well, I tried to consolidate. Okay. And banks said no, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Even with perfect credit, banks said no, right? Yeah, unfortunately. And the challenge is the consolidations are very difficult to qualify, and especially at a rate that's going to make them compelling. If you think about it intuitively, it kind of makes sense. You're approaching the bank saying you're in a risky financial situation, and you want the bank to risk, the new bank to risk their money to pay off all of your old debt. You know, what 
what's their assurance that you're going to be able to pay off the new bank and they're going to get all of their money back they've just paid out. So what some lenders will do is if they will advance some money to you, it could be at very high interest rates. Uh, You've got to be careful too if you're looking online and not one of the major banks. Sometimes what you think you're applying for is a consolidation loan. It's actually just a lead generation site. They're going to be selling your information to a number of folks um, and then you you may or may not be able to be approved, but it's typically not going to be at a very good rate. So I would generally recommend, you know, start with the big banks and, you know, if you've got solid credit and some assets to pledge and you're comfortable doing so, you might be approved. But the vast majority of people that I see, they start with their bank and they're rather shocked that even with great credit, they're not able to get approved to do a consolidation loan. What happens to folks who who do out of the few that actually get a, a consolidation loan? What kinds of, I don't know, assurances do they have to have to give the, the bank? Well, and that can be a really critical thing, Elaine, because it's very few people will get a consolidation loan if the bank has concerns unless they're willing to give some, as we've said, extra assurances to the bank that they will recover their money. And that often takes one of two forms. Uh, one is a co-signer or a co-borrower. So the bank says, oh, sure, you know, we'll take a risk on you, but we'd like someone else to also be responsible there. And what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, maybe they go to a family member or a friend and they say, you know, this is never going to be triggered. You know, don't worry about it. And if it is triggered, you know, at most it's 50-50. You know, your exposure is going to be half of what I borrowed, and that's just not the case at all. So I meet with some people where they've done a debt consolidation loan. You know, it hasn't worked out to their benefit. They're not able to pay it off, and they really need to file a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. But because they've got a guarantor on that debt, you know, it might be a family member or a friend, you know, I can help them legally. They're not going to be responsible for this anymore, but they know morally their friend is now going to be on the hook, and they just feel pretty bad leaving someone in that situation that didn't contemplate it. So if the only way you can qualify for a consolidation loan is by getting a co-signer or a co-borrower or by pledging an asset, which is the other way. Sometimes, yeah, we'll consolidate your debt, but, you know, give us some security over your car or your house or something like those along those lines. So if, if either of those things are your only options to consolidate, I definitely recommend you explore a bunch of other options before you start thinking about pledging assets or giving a co-signer. Okay, I just want to take a moment too uh, to say, Blair, uh, if this information is overwhelming uh, to folks who are listening, make it easier on yourself. Book that appointment with Sands and Associates. Get the answers you're looking for. One eight hundred six six one thirty thirty. Um, do you want to talk about the other personal pitfalls with with consolidation, or where do you want to go with this? Because there's so much to cover, and we've yeah, only we got about so three much, minutes. So little time. I know we've all got great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, let's just touch a little bit more on one final pitfall, which is just the cost of doing a consolidation. Then let's talk about some other options that you don't need to borrow about. So okay. just the final pitfall here is just even if you are approved, just make sure you can afford the consolidation. So sometimes people are turned down by the big banks. They end up going to, you know, lenders that sound a lot like payday lenders, and it's a 40% interest rate. It's ridiculous charges. So just be careful that the consolidation is actually going to solve your problem, going to move you ahead. It's not going to be an unaffordable payment that's, you know, just going to fail a couple months down the road. Excellent. Okay, so key points of consolidation options that don't require to you uh, that money needs to be borrowed in order for you to pay this thing off. Yeah, there's two great options that are out there. One, I think, is far superior to the other, and I'll tell you why. But two things people can consider if they need to consolidate their debt and they don't want to borrow money to do so. One is called a credit counseling debt management plan. So if you go look online or you'll see various advertisements for credit counselors, what they're able to do, because they're essentially paid by your creditors as collection agents, is they can negotiate an interest freeze on all of your debts. Now, not any of your government debt or student loans, but any typical bank debt with a credit counselor, they'd be able to say, okay, you 
$20,000. Let's get you to pay back that full $20,000 over five years. We're going to charge you a small fee on top of it, but look what you've saved in the interest. Doesn't this make a whole lot of sense? And a lot of the times you say, well, yeah, this is far better than what I'm doing. I'm going to save money. I can afford to pay everything back. It's going to take five years. There's a little hit to my credit because I've, I've compromised on the interest, but this sounds pretty good. And I agree, it does sound pretty good, but there is generally a better option for people to consider, and that's called a consumer proposal, and that's what we do here at Sands & Associates. So I definitely encourage people to you know, investigate all of their options, but if you stack up a, a credit counseling debt management plan against a consumer proposal, you'll see there's some pretty significant advantages with the consumer proposal, the main one being that a consumer proposal actually reduces your debt. So where we talked about in the credit counseling plan, you've got to pay back the full $20,000. A consumer proposal, because it's with a trustee who uses the law, it's a matter of what can you afford to pay back. It might be half of that debt. It might be a third of that debt. You know, typically on $20,000, maybe a 30% repayment would be $6,000. So a difference quite significantly compared to a credit counseling plan. And as soon as you've paid off that reduced balance in a consumer proposal, the debt is fully discharged. There's no one coming after you for the other half or the other 30% or whatever. So a consumer proposal reduces the debt, stops the interest, and it can include all debt including government debts and student loans. So it's a more powerful option and definitely worthwhile anyone considering, whether they're considering consolidating, whether it's borrowing or non-borrowing, make sure a consumer proposal is one of those stones that you do overturn to see if there's something there for you. And the best thing about Sands & Associates is you can learn more about the consumer proposals, debt consolidation, as well as the other options in order to deal with your debt. Uh, Sands & Associates has a very, very friendly team. They have offices all over British Columbia. They are debt smart with heart and its free confidential debt consultations are available in person or remotely so and you can book easily go to the website sands-trustee.com or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 you've been listening to dollars and cents see you next time the proceeding was a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser the opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of cknw